0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. Do you remember in elementary school when the 100th day of school came and you celebrated by bringing in 100 of something? When I was in kindergarten, I had forgotten that the next day was 100 days, so the night before I was scrambling to find 100 of something that was unique. I knew that other kids would bring in 100 pennies or even 100 cotton balls, so I didn't want to bring something, else, something another kid brought. So my first thought was baseballs. We are a huge baseball family, we always had buckets of balls in my house, but I quickly found out that a bucket holds about 30 baseballs and I couldn't carry three and a half buckets to school the next day. So I asked my dad, you know, what I could bring. And my dad, who is a handyman, threw open one of his toolboxes, and we started counting metal washers. The next morning, I brought in 100 half-inch zinc-plated washers, and my friends loved it. It wasn't something that all the kids had in their homes, and it was cool. So the whole day, these kids were asking me to take the washers out, let them hold them. As I walked home that day, I was so excited to share with my mom and dad how great it was. So, when I got home, I dumped the washers out and I started counting them while telling stories about my day, putting them in neat little stacks of 10. 97, 98, 99. But I was one short. So I counted again little stacks 97, 98, 99. Somewhere in the middle of the day, I had lost one of these washers and I was wrecked. I was completely distraught. I was irrationally upset. Remember, I was in kindergarten. And these washers only cost five cents, but I didn't care. The idea of me losing one had me so upset, I told my parents I needed to walk back to the school to see if I could find it. I asked them to call my teacher and to call my principal to see if they found it. Anything that I could do to find this lost washer, even though it was just one washer, and even though my dad had a toolbox full of them. There was something about losing this one that upset me. Whether it's a metal washer that's only worth five cents, or even a borrowed library book, or maybe it's a ring that has high sentimental and financial value, or something even bigger than that, we can all agree that the idea of losing something creates a tension in our hearts. We long for whatever is lost to be found. In fact, I'm sure many of you have memories of things that have been lost from your childhood. And there's a part of you that still wonders where it went. You wonder where that book went. You wonder where you misplaced that toy. You wonder whatever happened to that CD that you listened to all summer long. And there's a part of you that hopes that you eventually find those things. So every time you move, you hope maybe you'll find it in one of the boxes. Or every time you dig into your garage, you're wondering, will something be found? Because our desire is for things in our lives that are lost to be found, And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today as we start our brand new series called Storyteller. Over the next five weeks, we're going to learn from the stories that Jesus shared. These stories are called parables. And Jesus told parables in order to illustrate a spiritual lesson. He told parables about forgiveness and redemption and grace and mercy. He told parables that focused on spiritual growth he told parables showcasing his love for us and his desire for us to love other people because Jesus was a storyteller. And Jesus' parables were modest but memorable stories that conveyed heavy truths. And Scholars have commented that although these parables seem simple, the messages that they convey are deep and central to the teachings of Jesus. Christian authors view them as internal analogies in which nature becomes a witness for the spiritual world. And many of Jesus' parables refer to ordinary, just everyday things, such as a woman baking bread, or a man knocking on a neighbor's door at night, or the aftermath of a roadside fight. And even though they're simple, the truth they bring is life-changing. And parables have been a form of storytelling and communication since the beginning of time. In the Old Testament, the time before Jesus' parables were also known as mashal, which actually translates to riddles. And so even before Jesus' parables were used to teach and convey these truths. And so when Jesus was on this earth, he used parables whenever he could to teach other people about who he was and who God was and how much God loved him. And so Jesus didn't share parables just because he liked telling stories. Part of the reason why he shared is because it was the natural teaching method and it fit into the tradition of the time. It was relevant to the people that he was teaching. Now, the science behind storytelling is actually equally amazing Studies have shown that when we tell stories that, that have really shaped us and have impacted us, when we tell stories to other people, they, what in, in turn happens is the same effect happens to them because our brains of the person telling the story and listening to, her, to the story actually synchronize. And so if I share a story with you all about the joy I felt when my daughter Elise was born, the person listening will begin to feel joy. The study also concluded that whenever we hear a story, we want to relate it to one of our own existing experiences. And that's why metaphors and parables work so well in teaching. When listening to stories, we actually search our brain for similar experiences. And when we do so, we actually activate a part of the brain called the insula, which helps us relate to that same experience of pain, joy, or disgust that we hear in the story. So stories connect the storyteller and the listener. Emotions are shared. Truth is shared. Experience is heard and felt. And stories truly become one of the best ways that we can learn and grow and connect with other people. It's almost like Jesus knew a thing or two when he was teaching, because one-third of his teaching that he did on this earth was through parables. And so Jesus often taught in parables, and there's actually a moment in Jesus' teaching when his disciples ask him, okay, why do you do this so much? His disciples actually ask him, okay, why do you preach or teach in parables? And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 13. He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So, the first reason why Jesus spoke in parables is because Jesus understood that not everyone had the same experience of learning that the disciples had. The disciples who followed Jesus had a front row view of the Son of God, but most people didn't have that same experience, didn't have that glimpse of Him. And so, parables were a way for Jesus to teach and have people see and hear and feel what He was sharing. The second reason why Jesus teaches in parables is so that people with open eyes and open ears can learn about the kingdom of God. Parables reveal who God is. Parables reveal God's desire for us. Parables reveal God's love for us. And so our desire in this series is to learn through the parables in the same way that the people did when Jesus was teaching them. And today we're actually going to jump into one of my favorite parables that Jesus teaches, and it's called the parable of the lost sheep. Now, for a long time, I actually hated the word lost when it came to the church. And the reason why is because that term is always connected with people who are disconnected from God or people that are far from God. And I always felt like that term lost was kind of offensive. And maybe some of you would feel that way. If, if, you, if someone said, hey, you're lost, you would feel kind of offended by that term. And maybe you feel far from God and you don't want to label yourself as lost. And for a long time, I honestly struggled with that word, but a few years ago, I was challenged to really think about the word lost, because when people are lost, they know they are lost. When I was in college, one of my roommates named Scott had friends in a band called I Am Ghost, and they were playing about four and a half hours away in Raleigh-Durham. Now, Scott hadn't seen his friends in years. Uh, They tended to tour mostly on the West Coast, so when he found out that they were in North Carolina, he decided that he was going to make a trip to go, and he invited us to go with him. So we made plans, we booked a hotel, but there was one big problem leading up to the show. The day of the show was the same day as homecoming for our college and we were all heavily involved on campus and had multiple obligations that we had to attend. So we knew the timing would be tight, but we figured out that if we left right after the homecoming parade, we could potentially get to the show with about 30 minutes to spare, assuming that everything went well. When the weekend came, Scott was so intense about our schedules because he refused to be late. He's a little high strung. He knew where all of us had to be and what time we had to be there. He had actual paper written down telling us where we needed to go to make sure that we would be there. The whole morning, he was reminding us us what we had to do in not so gentle ways. So we sprinted through the morning festivities. We attended the parade. And then we jumped in the car a little bit earlier than expected. And we started driving. So this was before Google Maps on our phones. We didn't own a GPS. So we had handwritten directions that we took off the internet from MapQuest. And the first direction said to get on 19 East. So that's what we started to do. The first hour of the drive was really weird because it was all back roads. We were surrounded by farms, there were very few cars, let alone houses or people. And I remember I was sitting in the back seat thinking, this doesn't seem right. I'd driven on 19 East before and this didn't look like the time I drove on 19 East, but I wasn't navigating, I didn't have the directions, I wasn't sitting in the front seat and I was just along for the ride, so I didn't say anything. About three hours into the trip, we took a quick pit stop to grab some gas and get some food. But still, something felt off. Something felt wrong because we were in the middle of nowhere. As Scott was waiting in line to buy some food, I walked over to this giant map that was on the wall. And my friend Curtis, who was with us, was tracing his finger along the highway to Raleigh-Durham. And he pointed to a spot on the map that said, you are here. And then he pointed to Johnson City. The route didn't match up. He looked at me with big eyes and he whispered, And I just kind of looked back at him and he goes, we got on the wrong highway. <laughs> Somehow we managed to get on the wrong 19 and we were still three hours away from Raleigh-Durham. As we continued to look at the map, Scott looked over us, uh, at us and asked what we were doing and immediately we were like, nothing. <laughs> we should get back on the road though. So Scott walked back out to finish up getting gas. Curtis and I actually walked to the counter to ask the guy, like, where are we? We have no idea where we are. We know where we're trying to go, but we're clearly not in the right direction. And he told us that we were outside of Charlotte in Statesville, North Carolina. And then we told him that we're we're coming from Johnson City, we're trying to get to raleigh Durham by eight, and he just laughed. He said, you boys are lost. He said, there's no way that you will get there on time. Then he handed us a map and he outlined how to get to the show. We paid for the map and ran to the car. But as we were running out, Scott could tell that something was wrong. And he asked, why are you holding a map? And so Curtis tried to add a little humor and he goes, I like maps. Mm Scott said, I'm going to ask again, why are you holding a map? And so I told him, we might have gotten on the wrong highway, and we might be lost in the middle of North Carolina, but don't worry, we have a map now. His eyes pierced our souls, and he looked at us and said, get in the car. <clears throat> For the next two hours, I honestly thought I was going to die. Scott was yelling, I can't believe we are lost, while also driving consistently over 100 miles per hour. I texted my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and I told her that I loved her because I legitimately thought we were going to die. <laughs> you know, and we, we were lost. Like, that was the truth. There wasn't any way for us to debate or argue with the guy at the counter. There wasn't any way for us to negate the fact that we were lost. We were on the wrong highway. We were heading in the wrong direction. In fact, something felt off the entire time, and the guy at the counter actually confirmed it for us. You know, until he put that word to it, we didn't really know what was going wrong. And of course, we were upset that we were physically lost. Like, that's not what we wanted. But we weren't upset that he actually called us lost, because that's what we were. You know, some of you woke up this morning and something felt off. In fact, a lot of people show up at Collected because something in their life just doesn't feel right. Their, their marriage doesn't feel as great as they thought it would. Parenting isn't as fulfilling as it seems on TV. Maybe you're struggling to find peace or hope, or you wrestle with the sin and brokenness you have in your life, or you feel like God is distant. So many people are wandering aimlessly through life. You're lost. And you don't have to love the way you feel. You don't have to love where you are in life, but you can't ignore the fact that you're lost. This isn't an offensive thing, because for a lot of us, it's just a reality. And so here's what Jesus says about those who are lost, and we're going to read the parable of the lost sheep. This is how it begins, starting in Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now we're going to pause here for a moment because the first two verses actually set up the context for the parable that he's about to teach and the story that he's about to tell. And this parable and the story that he tells comes in direct response to these Pharisees and teachers of the law complaining about the fact that Jesus welcomed sinners into his life. So everywhere that Jesus went, there was a crowd. And that crowd was made up of some pretty broken people. Tax collectors were hated because they took advantage of other people. They cheated them out of money, they robbed them for their own financial gain, and they did it on behalf of the government. When the phrase sinners pops up, they're actually referring to the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. They're outcasts of society. And these were the people that were attracted to Jesus. These were the people that showed up to hear his teaching. These were the people that followed him around. Imperfect, And broken people. That's us. I like to think that if Jesus were alive today, he'd feel really comfortable at collective because we are broken and we need Jesus. But this bothered the holier than thou religious leaders. It bothered the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because they cared more about the rules of the Old Testament and they cared more about making sure people adhered to those rules than anything else, even if they didn't actually follow up on that standard by themselves. So it bothered them that Jesus hung out with messed up people That Jesus hung out with sinful people, that Jesus was surrounded by broken people, that Jesus used imperfect people, so they complained about it. And Jesus heard them, and so he shared this parable, continuing the the story in Luke 15. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is Jesus' response to the self righteous religious leaders. A story about how a shepherd would leave his 99 pursue the one that was lost. This parable and this story is about Jesus' unrelenting love for lost people. And while there's a lot to learn from this, there's two main things I want to focus on in this story. The first is that the shepherd would leave the 99 to go after the one. Now, for context, most shepherds during that time had around 10 to 15 sheep. If the shepherds were wealthy or had a wealthy boss, they'd have about 30 sheep. So in order for a shepherd to be caring for 100 sheep, you or your boss had to be incredibly rich So rich that losing one sheep wouldn't really matter. It wouldn't impact their quality of life. It wouldn't impact their ability to produce any goods. It wouldn't impact their ability to eat. And so the owner or the shepherd, whoever was in charge in that case, could legitimately just buy a new one. In fact, the shepherd in this case could buy 10 or even 100 new sheep if they wanted. But the shepherd didn't need to buy more sheep. He wanted to search for the one that was lost. The shepherd still goes after the one. And so this parable is all about God's love for us. This story is about his desire for us to be home and to be safe and to be in a relationship with him. One question I often get from people who have either turned away from God or even people who have never really stepped foot into a church is they'll ask, where was God? They'll say, where was God when this terrible thing happened to me? Where was God when I lost my mom? Where was God when we found out that we couldn't get pregnant? Where was God when addiction brought me to lose everything? Where was God? I know this seems too simple, but my answer is always that God was there. That he was with them. This parable is a reminder that no matter where we are, God is searching for us. Even to the point of leaving behind everyone else. Jesus isn't worried about the people that know him and the people that are safe. He is concerned for the people who don't. So no matter how far you walk away, no matter how lost you are, God is searching for you. Jesus actually says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. The lost meaning people that are far from God. The lost meaning people who have walked away from God. People that have never had a relationship with God. People that have never found their place in God's story. Another phrase for that is the rest of us. That's the DNA of this church. We are a church for the rest of us. We are a church for lost people. We're a church for people who are far from God. We're a church for people who walked away from God. We're a church for people who are trying to figure out how God fits into their life. To take it a step further, we're a church whose desire is to seek and save the lost in the same way that Jesus did. And this isn't in some self-righteous way, but in the same way that Jesus did, in the same way that Jesus taught To be honest, this is why we do church the way we do church. This is why we play loud music. This is why we try to preach relevant sermons on topics that every single one of us are wrestling with, have wrestled with, or will wrestle with. This is why people show up here at seven o'clock in the morning to set up this place and stay till one to tear it down. When it snows, rains, when it's hot, it's cold, it doesn't matter, they're here. This is why people give up their weekends to be a part of this church or they show up late to things on Sundays. This is why we strive as a church to have authentic, real community. We don't pretend that we're perfect we share our brokenness. This is why we invest in our city. Because as a church, we want all lost people to be found. I mean that's why we started Collective. You know, we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world and we want everyone to know that. And there are 250,000 people in our county and 80% of them don't go to church. 80% of them would say I'm lost. They're wandering. There are more people in my neighborhood that don't go to church than do go to collective. And so our desire is that our whole city and our whole county knows that Jesus loves them, that Jesus is the shepherd, that he is pursuing them. And this isn't about growing a church. This is about the 80%. When Jesus shared that the shepherd went after the lost sheep, this wasn't because the shepherd wanted a bigger flock. This was because he wanted every single one of his sheep to be safe. And that's exactly what God wants for us. And the church is how that happens today. And so we're called to seek and save. And then we're called to celebrate. Continuing the parable, Luke 15, 5-7, this is what it says. And when he finds it, talking about the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So here's the second thing I want us to learn and wrestle with. Notice how the shepherd responds when he finds his lost sheep. He isn't angry. He doesn't punish the sheep. He rejoices. He throws the sheep over his shoulders and he carries it back to the flock The shepherd carries the sheep back because he loves that sheep, because he doesn't want anything to happen to that sheep, because he doesn't want the sheep to get lost again, and because he doesn't want the sheep to have to carry the weight of walking back by itself. That's how much the shepherd loves that one sheep. A few months ago, Ray and I learned that our daughter Elise can run faster than we can walk. And we actually learned this the hard way. So we were in Target, and she was getting a little bit antsy, and she asked to get out of the cart, and so we said yes, which is a rookie move, and we get it. But we let her out. And so in the middle of us walking around, she actually looked at me and paused, and she said, you can't catch me, and then she darted. And I briskly walked after her, but that's when I realized, like, I can't walk fast enough to catch up to this kid anymore. In a matter of a minute, she was out of my sight. I couldn't find her. I called her name. She ignored me. After a few moments of searching, I started to get a little bit nervous, but that's when I heard a kid scamper by. I ran after her, and I grabbed her, but to be honest, this was not joyful. I did carry her back, but that's because I don't trust her. (laughs) So not only does the shepherd joyfully lift the sheep onto his shoulders, he rejoices, and he rejoices with any and everyone around him. He calls his friends and his neighbors, and he says, I found my lost sheep. Come celebrate with me. God wants nothing more than for you to come home, to stop wandering, to stop being lost. And when he greets you, it isn't with anger. It isn't with wrath. It isn't with resentment for having to look for you. It's with joy. And it's so much joy that he can't contain himself that he shares it with everybody he knows. To be honest, that's why we work so hard to celebrate baptism on Sunday mornings in service. Last week, we had multiple people profess their faith in Jesus, and they were baptized here on this stage. And it took us eight months to figure out how to do this. At first, we had the school, and the school said no. But after being in the school every single weekend, they realized that we love this place, and we leave it better than when we show up. But even after they still said yes, we weren't sure if we could figure it out logistically. So what we did is we took one of these 8 by 4 stage panels, and we took our giant trough, and we set it up in a friend's garage with 200 gallons of water in it, which is 1,600 pounds. And while I was in the garage, we jumped on it. We shook it. Dylan, who plays keys, actually did the floss dance on it. If you don't know what that is, just Google it. I'm not going to show you what that looks like. It would not be good. No, you guys wouldn't come back to church because of that. I'm very white, okay? I can't dance. But we did all that because we wanted to figure out how can we celebrate baptisms as a church in this service. And the reason why we did that is because we wanted to follow the example that Jesus sets, that we wanted to rejoice together, And so last week, to be honest, as we set this thing up, I was super nervous that we'd have all these baptisms and everyone in here would just stare at us. But when Olivia came out of the water first, this place went nuts. Not just her family and her friends, but every single person here. And I know there are some of you that clapped and cheered, and you weren't really sure why. All you knew is that it felt like a big moment. And it was. And that's why we celebrate. Baptism is a celebration of a lost sheep coming home and that's why we rejoice that's why we do it during service because there's more rejoicing in heaven when one lost sheep comes home than there is for the 99 that are already there and next week we're actually setting it up again because a few more people want to make that decision we're going to celebrate it like crazy and to be honest my dream is that that's a culture of this church when lost sheep come home and people are baptized people make decisions we don't just clap that private golf clap that we go nuts now here's the deal When Jesus taught this parable, the Pharisees hated it. They hated it, they didn't like what they heard. Because the fact that the shepherd cared more about the lost sheep than the 99 bothered them. And to be honest, a lot of Christian people struggle with that as well. A lot of Christian people struggle with the idea that Jesus cares more about people that are far from God than the people who are nearby. But this story and this parable isn't about lost versus found people. This story is just about lost people. And Jesus shared this story because he wanted the tax collectors and sinners to know that God loved them and that he was pursuing them. And he wanted the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to know that they needed to stop standing around and judging people and start seeking and saving so that they could all rejoice together. When my wife and I lived in Cleveland, I worked at a church called Momentum. And I worked in creative arts, and my boss was named James Fruits. And James and his wife had three kids. They had twins named Miley and Malachi, and they had an adopted son named Max. And so Momentum was a portable church, just like this one, but we met in a movie theater. And so one morning after church, we were tearing down when Christy actually walked into the theater and asked James, where's Max? And James looked back at Christy and with a very serious look on his face said, I thought he was with you. And she told him, he was with me, but then he wanted to come help in the main service, in the main auditorium, or the main theater. So I watched him walk into the theater, but then I turned my back to go back to tearing down kids. Without panicking too much, James shouted out and asked everybody in the theater if they'd seen Max. A few people remembered seeing him in the morning. A few people even remember seeing him walk into the theater, but in that moment, no one knew where Max was. And so Christy sprinted out of the theater, and there were people everywhere people that attended momentum as well as people who were going to see movies in the other theaters and so she began to scream in this crowd to anyone that would listen have you seen max have you seen my child have you seen a 4 year old boy wearing a red polo walking around has anyone seen max james ran out to the lobby and began speaking to the manager of the theater to alert their staff Christy ran back to the other theaters that held our children's ministry, and 30 of us that were there dropped everything that we were doing and began looking, and it was just pure chaos. There were exits everywhere. The theaters have hidden crawl spaces behind the screen, so I was back in these crawl spaces looking for Max. We were looking in bathrooms. We were looking in office spaces. We were looking everywhere we could, and we couldn't find them. It was one of the scariest moments that I've actually ever been a part of. And it felt like we were looking for hours. In reality, it had only been about five or ten minutes. And Christy eventually came running back into the theater. Her her voice was hoarse, and her face was covered in tears. You could see in her eyes that she had lost her child. And that was when we heard James scream out, I found him. Everyone in the theater ran out to the lobby to find James, squeezing his child as hard as he could. Christy collapsed. Everyone there at Momentum started hugging each other. And people in the lobby actually saw what happened. They knew what was going on. They started clapping. When Christy could finally talk, she asked James where he found Max. Max is actually hidden in one of the portable church bins that had been pushed into the storage closet. James just happened to walk in and heard Max snickering because he wasn't being found. (laughs) And this is a moment, to be honest, that will stay with me forever. This was before Ray and I had kids. This was before we even talked about having kids. And I remember telling her that I never want to experience what that feels like. I never want to know what that five minutes feels like, what that ten minutes feels like, what an eternity feels like of losing someone that you love. But while all this was happening, as people were running around looking for Max, do you know what James never did? James never went up to Christy and said, it's okay if we can't find them. We have two more. (laughs) He never said that. He never said, we can just adopt again. He went looking. And he asks everyone around him to search as well. And this isn't because James and Christy aren't thankful for the kids that they do have. It's because when someone you love is lost, you'll do everything you can to find them. And so this parable is about Jesus' love for you and what he will do to come find you. Jesus will do everything he can to come find you. And to be honest, when you finally realize that that's true, and you stop running, or you stop wandering, or you stop hiding... He'll carry you back, and then he'll rejoice. And some of you feel like you've been lost for a long time. Maybe you were hurt by a church and you walked away. Maybe you just didn't connect to a church. Maybe you feel like you're too messed up to go to church. Maybe this is the first church that you've ever been to. Or maybe you didn't mean to wander off, but a job change or a relationship change, a life change, slowly pushed you further and further away from God. What I want you to know is that God is searching for you. And all you have to do is stop in order to be found. Next week, we're setting up the trough again. We have multiple people that are getting baptized, and we're going to celebrate lost sheep coming home. And to be honest, some of you, that's the first step that you need to take. You've been running, and you've been wandering, and you've been hiding for so long, and you need to be found. You've been wrestling with it. You feel that push. You feel that pull. You see other people do it, and you wonder, is that where I need to go? And so I want to encourage you. If that's you, check off in your connection card, or come find me in the lobby because we'd love to have a conversation about it. And to be honest, there's a lot of people here in this church that want to rejoice with you. And taking that step and deciding I'm ready to be found. I don't want to be lost anymore. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you can't be broken. It doesn't mean you have to have your life together. It doesn't mean you have to fully even understand everything. You can still have questions. You can still have doubts. It just means that you don't want to be lost anymore. And some of you would say that you are found. Jesus is the leader of your life. But you know what it's like to be lost and have Jesus carry you back to the flock. It's time for you to seek and save the lost. To be honest, one of the easiest ways to do that is to join the team here at Collective. Serve with us on Sundays. Help us create a safe space for people to bump into Jesus here. God is searching. He wants nothing more than for you to come home so he can rejoice and we can rejoice with him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, that you pursue us. God, it doesn't matter how far away we are how fast we're running, how, how far we've wandered, how much we're hiding. God, honestly, you will do everything you can to find us. God, that you leave the 99 that you seek out the one, and you do that because that's how much you love us. That's how much you want us to be in a relationship with you. So God, I pray today for everybody that feels lost or feels like they're wandering or feels like something's missing from their life, God, that they know that you are right there and you're just waiting. You're waiting to pick them up, bring them back home, and rejoice. God, I pray for the people that are here that, that feel found, that are doing what they can to follow you. God, that they feel the burden for that one sheep the same way the shepherd did. This isn't about just you. This isn't about just the pastor at a church, but this is about people who love you and 80% of a county that doesn't know who you are. God, help us be more like the shepherd. Help us seek and save. Help us be found. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.